Welcome to The Haber Show. This week, we're going behind the scenes with my guy, Monty Poole, the NBC Sports Bay Area's Golden State Warriors insider and host of the Run and Plays podcast. Monty and I work together on a feature, a big feature, deep dive into the world of marijuana in the NBA. We'll peel back the curtain on that story and how we put it together and inside the interviews we did for that story. Also, Monty will take us with him to Los Angeles earlier this week when he was at the Kobe Bryant Memorial at the Staples Center. And we'll also talk Stephen Curry's imminent return and whether it's a light year's move. My conspiracy about that. All right, lots to get into. So without further ado, my conversation with my guy, Monty Poole. We're going to do this pod as kind of a behind-the-scenes look at the article that uh, we worked together on for quite a bit here. Marijuana in the NBA. Should I say cannabis? Like, what's the what's the right way to say this? Well, I mean, I, I start with cannabis because, like I explained to Corey, who's been working with us on this, is that when you say marijuana, I mean, it, it, the connotation is always smoking. Whereas if you say cannabis, then people kind of think broader than that, I think. Um, yeah, you can smoke it, but there's all the other applications that you can apply to that. And it just seems to be a broader way to uh, describe and a, a more accurate way because uh, in many cases, people who use it aren't smoking it. Yeah, and I think that's one of the big topics in the NBA now is pain management, load management, um, the grind, the wear and tear of the NBA, sleep issues. Um, all of that is intertwined in the marijuana story, which is something that I've been kind of keeping my eye on for the last several years because it's kind of an open secret in the league that players either like to smoke pot, uh, smoke weed, or uh, use CBD oil, or... Um, uh, edibles, uh, the Dion Waiters incident earlier this year, I don't think is really emblematic of how players use it. But I do think that, you know, the idea of uh, eating an edible before you take a flight to lower your anxiety or to go to sleep, I think that's pretty common, not just in the NBA, but, um, you know, outside the NBA too. And I had a conversation with Steven Jackson a couple years ago where he alluded to the fact that he was in the program, capital T, capital P, in the program for his entire career, essentially, and smoked weed during the entire time. And I I was like, I didn't understand. It seemed, it seemed counterintuitive. It's like, isn't the whole point of the program is to, uh, you know, dissuade players from using the substances that got you in the program? But the more that I peel back the onion – it seemed like um, this is not about Steven Jackson. It is about an 82-game schedule. It is about long, late hours. It is about how much your body hurts. And it's about the alternatives for players if they are in pain or if they have trouble sleeping when they get done with a game, they go and shower. And this is how Steven Jackson, a former Golden State Warrior, uh, averaged 20 points a game in the league. Um, you know, in one of the it, – editions uh, of this story, he was referred to as a role player, and I had to delete that because I was like, he is definitely not a role player. I mean, he is right. one of the best, strongest scorers we had in that era. And, you know, for someone who, uh, you know, he was telling me, like, and then we've been in locker rooms before, when you go in and interview a player after the game, even if they've showered, they're still sweating. 
are still sweaty even an hour after the game. And so even though you might be an hour, an hour and a half, two hours after the game, your blood is still pumping. The adrenaline is still rushing. And for a lot of players, they'll drink wine. They'll drink yeah. uh, alcohol after games to wind down. But other players, uh, they use cannabis. And um, we wanted to tell that story. So I'm curious, when did you want to tell this story? Um, and when when did it start to pique your attention? I mean, it's it's been there for quite a while. I mean, I remember when when Jack was uh, with with the Warriors back in uh, the We Believe team 2007. And, uh, you know, it was pretty commonly known that, you know, he was doing it. And Al Harrington was on that team, too. Uh, and, and so the guys had a pretty good nightlife going, put it that way. And But it, yet they performed. And you start thinking, you know, people, you hear different things about the way people use marijuana and about how it affects different people. And, you know, I look at it here and there and, and talk to people about it over time, and as it became more and more commonplace, you know, before there was this, oh, no, it's, you can't do it, it's illegal. And then it went to, okay, it's okay to use it for medicinal purposes. And now in California and a bunch of other states, it's okay to use it recreationally. Um, and the thing I landed upon is that <clears throat> goes back to something Draymond, Draymond Green said uh, a couple, a few years ago. He said, think about it, you know, pills are manufactured in a laboratory. Marijuana is grown in the soil. <laughs> Which one yeah. is more natural, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And and so I think the players that use it, by and large, use it for healing properties or to, to or as a sedative in a sense, a more a, a less um, harmful sedative or a less harmful uh, way to manage their pain. Because let's face it, opioids are not the way. And to me, they're just now starting to get the stigma they deserve. Yes. And and whereas marijuana is going the other way in most cases in, in general. I mean, the uh, you think about it, the, the fastest growing demographic for marijuana use is people over 40. Yeah, it's because everyone under 40 is already doing it. <laughs> <laughs> That's part of it. <laughs> but they discovered this thing and said, wow, it really helps me with glaucoma or what it might, you know, cancer treatments or whatever it is, you know? Yes. And so they're using the oils because it helps with their joints. I've heard, I've seen people do that. So uh, it's just becoming more commonplace, and the NBA is, you know, kind of not ready to go there yet fully. So on that front, uh, I think people wonder, why now? Why the story now? And I'll tell you why. One, Major League Baseball pulled ma marijuana off the, sub, the banned substance list um, in reaction, maybe not directly, but in the wake of Tyler Skaggs' overdose, fatal overdose from a, 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 I would just call it an opioid cocktail. Um, it was not um, something that MLB really understood fully, um, and I think they, in response to that shocking death of the, a, their, the Angels pitcher, now have looked into the issue and realized maybe we have this all wrong. Maybe we need yep. to be testing for opioids rather than testing for marijuana. So they pulled marijuana off the uh, banned substance list, so they no longer punish their players for smoking marijuana or consuming marijuana in various forms. And the NHL for a long time has not punished its players. Um, and now the NFL, in a in a late, uh, recent proposal from the from the owners to the players' association, 
there is a proposal to end the punishment of testing positive for marijuana. And there are a couple other minor things in there. They're, they're raising the level of what is allowed um, to be, te- you know, um, a positive test. Basically, you can have a higher level of THC in your system uh, to, to pass the test. And also, that would mean, Mani, that the NBA, which I think considers itself the most progressive of the four uh, major American sports leagues, would be last year on this issue and that the NBA still has four players are subject to four random tests throughout the year. Uh, also additional tests, if they have any reasonable uh, cause to go, like, let's say if you get pulled over and you have an ounce of weed in your car, the NBA, as I understand it, is able to go in and test you under a reasonable cause to believe that you are under the influence um of, of marijuana. So this seems backwards, doesn't it, Monty? Because the, the NBA on, on so many different matters, whether it comes to Donald Sterling or uh, uh, r- racial injustice, this seems like something that is backwards because, as Stephen Jackson put it in the story, this is something that um, is part of African-American culture, uh, and it's not something that, is particularly a white issue. Well, yeah, I think um, cannabis in its various uh, forms is being used by the public at large at a higher rate than people would like to uh, admit. That's that's why it's become more acceptable. That's why it's become legal in so many states. And but I think in the in the eyes of the people who run the NBA, and I mean by that not necessarily Adam Silver, but the, the owners that he basically answers to um, their concern, and this is something that Andre Iguodala mentioned in the piece, is that, you know, it's about image. It's about the brand. And as Andre said, you know, you think about this, and, you know, we go, we stay in like these really nice five-star hotels, and we sometimes check in late at night, and, you know, the, the image of, you know, a bunch of black guys walking in there maybe smelling like marijuana is not what the NBA wants. And under, it could be one guy that might smell that way. But if that is in if that's what you have walking through the the lobby of this hotel, it's a bad look for the NBA. And that's how they look at this. And he said, the thing is is that yeah, if you're using marijuana recreationally and you play in the NBA, that's on you. But if you're using it as a healing agent, why not use it? Why not let that yeah. be allowed and treat it like alcohol? That was his. That was his thing. Just treat it like alcohol. If a guy has problems with alcohol and you realize that because uh, you know it becomes a substance abuse issue or an addictive thing, then the league takes action. The same. Why not do the same thing with marijuana? If it becomes clear that a guy is not just using it to heal, but using it all the time, then maybe send him to a drug program or whatever you need to do. But at this stage, the NBA said, yeah, is, and I, I think there's something to that, that the NBA is just concerned about the image portion of this and the idea of uh, being associated with, with casual use of marijuana, even if you have a guy like Don Nelson, the all-time wins leader among coaches, throwing it on his farm in Maui. <laughs> you know, uh, it's still a stigma. And, and 
he's not the only former coach in the NBA. An amazing um, scene in the story. Uh, I want you to take me through uh, the the Brian Shaw party. Uh, wow. So where yeah, do you begin? Brian, <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, I was talking to Brian, one of the guys that I talked to over the course of doing this research in this story, and um, and he said, yeah, you know, we actually had a party at my house where we used one of David Stern's quotes on the invitation. And I thought, what? He goes, yeah, you know, because at first he was dead set against it, and over time, uh, in the last year or so before he passed away in December, David Stern had come to grips with the idea that, you know what, yeah, cannabis has properties that are useful to, to players, you know, and it's something we should look at and consider taking off the banned substance list. And so uh, I said, oh, wow. And so I said, what about this party? So he says, yeah, we had uh, a lady, um, her name is Nikki Stewart, who does this, has done this for many people. She's got a pharmaceutical background, but she also has a, a culinary background. And so she basically has parties where she, use, she infuses foods and alcohol. Uh, they have infused wine, infused beer um, at these parties. And it's always a, a high-end affair. I mean, they, they do it at a really nice place. They have one planned for March 14th in Detroit at Barry Gordy's Mansion. <laughs> so um, they're very high-end. And so at, at, anyway, at Brian's house, Brian's a very nice home in the high in the Oakland Hills overlooking the bay. And so um, they had everything. There. They had an eight-course dinner. They had... Um, they call it dab bars, where you can use it, cannabis in so basically concentrated forms. Um, they had massage tables set up, so if you wanted a CBD oil massage, you, you had that available. <laughs> they had they had for dessert, and I love this description of dessert. Brian said, "Yeah, for, we had." I said, "You had desserts, right?" He goes, "Oh yeah." He says, "There was a lady, like a naked lady. Well, not totally naked." <laughs> he says, and she's laying down. And there's parts of her that are covered, but most of it is like if you want a cupcake, it's it's laying on her body. Just take it off her body. <laughs> so, so um, but he said that this was in September, and it was just before training camps were opening. So he said, you know, I know enough to know not to invite NBA players because they know it's it's camps are going to open, which means testing is going to start resuming. And but he had retired players there, and he had entertainment, entertainment figures there, musicians there, and it was two hundred dollars a head. It was all very private and very exclusive, and, and in terms of how they did this, I mean, the address of it wasn't really never was revealed. Uh, in in terms of who the hosts were, uh, that hey, was revealed. They, like, really. Did they shuttle them in like giant Mercedes Benz vans? Yeah, those uh, Mercedes Benz Sprinter vans. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he said they had at, at down further down the hill there from Brian's house, he and his wife's house. Um, people could either take a Uber to this spot or drive their car to this spot and leave it, but no cars would be were to be allowed on the property. They were all going to be shuttled from a designated location, just a few minutes away from Brian's house, and then taken up the hill uh, in one of these Mercedes Sprinter vans, which ran a shuttle all night long. Because Brian said there were between 250 to 300 people that came in and out over the course of the evening. They had live music. They had a DJ going. This, this sounds a like real... a bachelor party, but like <laughs> um, just totally uh, 
I mean, this this sounds like just a regular party, um, but just with cannabis and food. It sounds like the lifestyle of rich and famous. Uh, and I and I think one of the details that really strikes me, Monty, is that um, just to kind of underline that this is um, still not totally a wrapped up issue is weren't there uh, the feds had to be involved like yes. to, to get cleared. <laughs> Yes, apparently, and I didn't know this until Brian explained it to me. He said, yeah, he says, when, in terms of uh, regulation, he said, if there's a certain amount <laughs> that is in one place, one location, that they have to be there to monitor the situation. So, in other words, if you walk into a room, uh, it's illegal maybe to, and you, to have five pounds of marijuana. <laughs> you know, yes. I don't know what the There was what the so much point weed is. at this party that... yeah. You couldn't they had multiple it, it agents would... there on yeah. hand to observe and, and monitor the entire situation for the entire time. And it went from 8 o'clock until, he said it was supposed to be 8 to 12. It ended up being more like 8 to like 1, a little bit after that. But um, he said, yeah, he says you, it's not legal to do these unless you have uh, people that represent. He says it's kind of like a Brinks truck you know, thing where, you know, you have to have somebody guard the money. <laughs> so, yeah. um but it, it is, uh, it's a big-time thing, and she's done a few. She did one over All-Star Weekend in Chicago for a bunch of people. Uh, and so this chef, Nikki Stewart, uh, it's, it's, her, it's her thing. And in this situation with Brian, she kind of partnered with Brian's wife, who's also a chef, and her name is also Nikki. And the two of them prepared most of the food, and Nikki Stewart is the one who not only served the food, but what she would do between courses is explain – what, how much was in it, and how it was used, and how it might help you. I mean, the properties that it had in each specific yes. course as they went through the eight courses. And that's so what's it was interesting. Part lecture. Yeah, the, you, you, it's educational. And I think the other thing is that they would have, if you were getting too high, right? If you're getting yes. too uh, messed up, they would have another uh, alternative to bring you down another cannabis product to bring you down. So it was like right. they, they were educated enough to basically tinker with um, the properties or tinker with the formula so that you'd be back back down to earth, so to speak. And so, like, that's another thing that I want to get into here, Monty, is the idea that it's a one-size-fits-all, that if you're if, – if you're uh, – if you're going to take CBD oil, you are a pothead. That is not true. There are different. <laughs> no. There are different ways to consume. Um, there's different ways. There's edibles. There's uh, creams. There's oils. There's uh, uh, you know if you want to go more traditional pot brownies or, or infused uh, foods, but it doesn't hit you the same. And I think what what I go back to is Al Harrington. I interviewed him for this story uh, because he had a groundbreaking interview with tw in 2017 on uninterrupted with David Stern, and yep. David Stern was not the commissioner anymore. Uh, he was enjoying life, uh, his 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 post NBA career, so to speak, as an investor, um, uh, as a speaker, and he was sitting around. Uh, the late uh, great David Stern was sitting around watching the. CNN special with Sanjay Gupta, who was doing this series about medic medicinal marijuana and how the laws needed to be loosened up because in Dr. Gupta's eyes, this was 
a totally legitimate uh, therapeutic drug that could treat uh, seizures. It could treat, uh, you know, give some relief for cancer uh, treatment, ke- chemotherapy. My sister, who was doing uh, cancer treatment a couple years ago, I remember she went up to uh, Massachusetts, drove up to Massachusetts. She lives in Connecticut and went to a dispensary. And she said, when I went into the dispensary for, um, for my medicinal marijuana, it was all walks of life in that dispensary. She's like, I saw a nun. I saw, uh, looked like an accountant. I saw an athlete. I saw, she just went through the whole list of basically every corner of American life in that dispensary. And what she, she came away from that was, this is not, um, this is not a hard drug that we associate with, let's say, meth or if it's heroin, whatever it is. It's all walks of life returning to, to marijuana because the other alternatives are not working for them, whether it's opioids or whether it's anti-inflammatories. And in this interview with David Stern, he said, David Stern, by the third question that Al Harrington asked, David Stern just said, you know what? I think it should be removed off the banned substance list. I'm convinced. I mean, I watched the Sanjay Gupta uh, special and I hate painkillers. He said at one point, I hate painkillers. I get prescribed painkillers. Um, I have like 90 oxycodone pills in my house, and I don't have, I can make a killing on the street. This is David Stern talking here, and yeah. Al Harrington's sitting there like, this is exactly what I'm talking about. It is, I I had a botched knee surgery, and I had a really bad recovery, and they gave me opioids, and anti-inflammatories, and leaves, and it just didn't work for me. I hated it, and I became addicted, and it just felt like I was dependent on it, and I didn't feel good. And a nurse told him, hey, try CBD. And he hasn't touched an opioid since, even though he's needed multiple surgeries. And I think what's interesting about these former NBA players who are now investing in uh, cannabis, um, medicinal marijuana, um, these parties, is that they're all hurting. Yeah. They're all hurting. Hip replacements, knee replacements, surgeries, microfractures, and... It doesn't. The, the status quo doesn't seem to be working for them. Yeah, it, it, that's the thing, and, and that's the bridge that has to be crossed. Is that owners, NBA owners, and and NBA uh, executives executives across the board have to come to a point where they say, okay, uh, just because a doctor may prescribe opioids that make it better for our guys than marijuana, and when they realize that it does not make it better. I think that's when they make that move. Uh, you know, uh, Steve Kerr, uh, who had two back surgeries back in 2015, um, and uh, first of all, the, the thought of two back surgeries is enough to make you hurt anyway. Yes. But he had some pretty devastating side effects. His back is much better, but there are a few other things that were jacked up by the, by the surgeries. And so in his desperation to, to manage his pain, he tried uh, cannabis. And in his case, he said he tried a couple of times. It didn't bring the relief that he had hoped for. So he just kept searching for things. But um, guys used that. Brian Shaw said, hey, I had never had a surgery in my entire career, 14, 15 years in the NBA, no surgeries. He said, in the last few years, I've had to replace a hip. <laughs> you know, I got a knee replacement. <laughs> All these things are happening. He said, sometimes it catches up with you. So his point was that he said, you know, 
I think it's important for players that are playing today, not just for where, where they are now, but for where they will be 10, 15 years from now that they don't even know about. You know, it, it's good for preventative reasons. And so <clears throat> he said, yeah, he said, that's the part that I really think that they need to understand is that a lot of us, uh, you know, we're still on, they're still paying our medicals because through the Players Association. And in the end, you know, if they're treating these things now with a more progressive treatment, it may save money and, and, and discomfort down the road uh, when they let this thing, when they let people go to use cannabis as opposed to just getting them ready to play another game uh, because they drop an opioid on them. So it really is <clears throat> one of those things where um, once the stigma is shed, and you see it, you know, in, in the NHL, in, in the uh, NFL, and in MLB, you know, they've gotten there. And, yeah, the fact that the NBA is not there yet, I, I totally believe that they'll be there soon. But for right now, they're just they're not there yet, and I believe that when you get to the next uh, collective bargaining session, uh, you can best believe that this will be high on the list of priorities uh, to talk about because, <clears throat> as Antonio Davis said, and Antonio Davis is a former Pacers player, played in the NBA for 15 years, or maybe 13 years, and he – at one point, one year, served as the uh, Players Association president. And he has since worked with Michelle Roberts uh, and, and working with players' post-career things. <clears throat> and his concern, when I talked to him about this, he said, they have to understand, he says, there's a lot of research out there. The NBA has to understand. There's a lot of research, a lot of experts you can talk to. He said, educate people on this. And once you do that, it's an easy call. He said, because right now we know that a lot of the painkillers we're taking are not good for us in any way. Yeah. So he said, just bring people in. He said, right now, if guys are using this stuff on their own, that should send a message to these people. Let them know that, you know what, why not let these guys use something that they're comfortable with that's less harmful in the long term as opposed to what they're getting from the positions. And it's also troubling when, and hypocritical in a lot of people's eyes, is when the NBA is, is and the players, you see sponsorships by hard liquor companies. And yet the league, there's no, as Al Harrington told, uh, told us, there's no medicinal benefit to alcohol. And yet we're partnering with various uh you know, alcohol companies, whether yep. it's, I, I remember like a couple of weeks ago, it was Hennessy. Yep. Um, and I'm sitting here, I'm like, we're afraid of marijuana. And yet, because it, it might have, uh, uh, you know, bad effects for, for, or harmful effects for the players. And yet we're, we're cool with just like raking in millions of dollars from, from these other companies. Right. So, you know, I, I think, I come, I come, I, I, I fall between two different places. One, I think they, like most of my heart says they should lift the ban on marijuana. Like my yeah. opinion is it, it's 2020. Like this should be done a long time ago. I mean, it's not, I remember Al Harrington telling me about his, his, uh, his grandmother who was, was suffering from glaucoma and diabetes and was really suffering. And he, he suggested, "Hey, Grandma, you should try, uh, you should try CBD. Um, I've been looking into this stuff, and I think CBD could really help you." And she goes, "I ain't no trying no reefer." <laughs> yeah. And uh, and he just laughs. He's like, "No, no, 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 no. I'm not asking you to 
smoke a blunt. I'm asking, you know, try this cream or try this oil or this tincture. Like, try this. And she found so she she found so much so much success using that, and it really helped her. And he named his cannabis company Viola uh, or Viola, uh, naming after her. And right. you know the 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 stigma is such that I think people are still thinking of it as reefer, right? Is uh, a gateway drug. Right. But that's the thing. I think right that's there. lunacy, right? I think it's lunacy, and I think in that vein, it should be um, it shouldn't be criminalized by the league. But on the other side, I think about Steven Jackson and how he wasn't fined or suspended the entire career, and I wonder. Is this optimal? Is you can have your cake and eat it too, which is they have it as they protect their brand by banning it, but they it's a soft ban, right? Like yeah. you have players in the program who are smoking weed or taking uh, CBD above the the quote unquote legal limit, and yet they're uh, they're up to three failed tests before you get f- uh, f- uh, suspended or fined by the league. Right. And so they're obviously navigating the system. Uh, there, are, if if what we hear is true, uh, Al Harrington says there's seventy uh, percent of NBA players he believes are using cannabis in some form. But obviously, Monty, seventy percent of the NBA is not getting suspended for for marijuana. <laughs> so what do you think about that? Because I bounce between both of those angles. Is obviously it should be lifted, but. I also see some, not necessarily wisdom in, in the status quo, but if a lot of these players are using it and they're not getting in trouble for it, then is it just like the speed limit where everyone just understands, like if you drive five, ten miles an hour over the speed limit, you're not going to get pulled over, but just don't go crazy. I think there's something to that. Um, you know, there's got to be an element of logic in these decisions in terms of when to suspend um, and when not to, or when to find, and when not to. I think in this instance, you're looking at a situation where um, you've got players that you know players are doing it. I mean, that's one of the reasons why you're testing is you know players are doing it, and you're hoping to catch them. But what you, I think when you hit on the gateway drug thing, that's the that's the part that has to get out of people's minds because yeah, yeah I mean, it, sure, it can it be a gateway drug? Yes, I guess. You know, if, if someone thinks, well, I need to try the next thing, the next thing, the next thing, but it goes back to why are you using it in the first place? If you're using it to heal, then it's not a gateway drug. You know, and it is far superior in terms of the way it reacts to your body to the medications that you get that are manufactured in a laboratory somewhere. So, if um, anything, If anything, oxy is a gateway drug. Because oh if, yeah. if you've if you've watched or if you've read the book uh, Dreamland, uh, it's an amazing book uh, about the rise of heroin, um, black tar heroin, oxy in the United States, and a lot of pain um, pain mills, pain pill mills will just get you hooked on a lower level of of oxy, and then you just keep craving more, and then by by the time you know it, you're uh, you're doing heroin, and yeah. it's one of those things where you just you you ramp up the pain uh, management, and then suddenly you find yourself craving more and more and more. So that's what we need to defend against: is we don't need any overdoses in the NBA. Uh, there was already one in Major League Baseball, and certainly 
issues in the NFL with opioids. And I think the idea of, of marijuana as a gateway drug, maybe if the NBA legitimizes uh, marijuana and accepts marijuana, then most people will not be afraid about the, the power of the flower, as Stephen Jackson calls it, and actually embrace it. No, I, I think that's what needs to happen. And I think over time um, that, again, like Antonio said, it's about educating people on uh, its uses and understanding that it is really better for you than um, the medications that are often prescribed by doctors that are considered, you know, okay to use. And it's not just that the medications that they, that they prescribe uh, don't help you on the long in the long haul. They also they hurt you immediately. I mean, <laughs> the, the things that it does to your digestive digestive tract is crazy, you know. Yes. And so what they're saying is that uh, there are so many ways you can use this stuff, and it's about finding the way to use it and using it smartly. And yeah, if you want to continue testing, that's fine. Because you got a, you got a bunch of substances you want to test to make sure people aren't using, I get that. You got to drug test your, your 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 athletes. I understand that. But by the same token, yeah, marijuana I think is something that if you want to test for levels, you know, like in the NHL I believe it is where they don't. There's no punitive um, results from a positive test, but uh, if you test at a certain level consistently. They will recommend uh, that you go to some sort of drug counseling um, because which that, is what should be right. If yeah, you're, exactly. I mean, if, if you have a drinking problem, exactly. you should you should be seeing someone for it. You should exactly. be, and and I think Monty, um, it, it brings up another thing, which is the idea that players are going to show up to games high. Right, like people are like, well, yeah. if, we, if we legalize marijuana in the league, then players are just going to show up and be stoned all the time. I don't want to go to an NBA game and smell weed all over the court, right? And Al Harrington was just like, "You serious with that? This is a performance-driven league. I'm. You think I'm going to get high before I go against Kevin Durant? Like, you think <laughs> I'm really going to do that? You think I'm going to yeah. embarrass myself by just being stoned out on a basketball court? No, like." Our whole livelihood depends on us performing at a high level. So you think we're really going to get, like, he's like, we're allowed to drink. Do you think yeah. we go out and get hammered before a basketball game? No. Yeah. Like, we're all adults here, and this is such a, a doggy dog league that, like, if you decide I'm going to just uh, get stoned before every game uh, and try that, you're going to be out quickly. You're not going yeah, to be able to perform, right? So yeah. I think that's also a logical fallacy that people think is like, oh, well, if we're going to – it's a slippery slope. If we're going to allow marijuana, then who's to say that they're just not going to get high before games? And I just think that's dehumanizing. Yeah. No, I I believe that um, – you know, what's it now? It's now February 2020. Uh, I, I would not be surprised if sometime in the next six, eight, 10, 12, 14 months that this is taken care of. It's it's where the country has gone. Look how far the country has gone in the last 10 years. Colorado and, and I believe it was Oregon that uh, decriminalized it about uh, eight, nine years ago. And now uh, there's only four states, three or four states that 
still have strict laws against uses, uh, usage of, of cannabis. I mean, strict to the point where there's no allowance for it right. recre- recreationally or medicinally. Most states allow it either recreationally or medicinally. And so it, it's, it's where we've gone. We've gone a long way with this in the last six, eight, ten years, and basketball is just dragging, dragging its feet, and that's going to change because that's the way basketball is. It's going to realize, you know what, guys, what are we fighting against here? What are we fighting against? So I hate to uh, make this segue here. I don't know how else to do it, but on <laughs> M- Monday, uh, Monday was a totally different day in your NBA schedule. You were in Los Angeles for the memorial for Kobe Bryant, and I was in New York City uh, doing a show with Craig Melvin from, Melvin from the Today Show and Joe Varden from The Athletic. We did coverage from 30 Rock, and it was surreal to be sitting there at 30 Rock watching Michael Jordan crying on stage, yeah. revealing this side of him that I don't think we ever get to see, is that he's sending text messages with Kobe Bryant at 2, thir- two 3 in the morning, and calling him his little brother. And, man, Monty, we cover this league for a long time. Michael Jordan might be the most covered player of all time. And yet I don't think people quite understood the relationships that Kobe had, not just with uh, other players, but Vanessa in her speech. I think we saw, we knew that he was an amazing father, but the extent to which he was this baby whisperer, like she called him, that that seemed to be uh, – I did not know what to expect, but to see how deep these relationships were, jaw to the table for a lot of yeah. these stories that were told. Yeah, it was uh, – you know, it, there was some concern that – I mean, to give you an idea of what it was like on the ground there, um, the security was really tight. Uh, there were barricades everywhere, and it was made abundantly clear that there were to be no casual fans just showing up around Staples Center. If you didn't have a ticket or a media pass, which in our case meant wristbands, no wristband, no ticket, go away. Go elsewhere. Do not come around L.A. Live. Do not go to anywhere near Staples Center. You couldn't. You wouldn't be allowed. And most of the restaurants in that area were discouraged from showing the service on the TV because they didn't want fans flocking in the area. Really? Yeah. So, uh, and it was. Well, why do you think that got, is? Just just to keep things. Uh, relatively crowd control. I think it's crowd control. Yeah. yeah, yeah, they were concerned because they know that twenty thousand people that fit in Staples Center that that if they could have held a in a place that that seated two hundred thousand people, they could have filled it. They know that. Yeah, and so they realize that you know if we have a public memorial for Kobe Bryant at Staples Center, there's going to be hundreds of thousand people who want to be there. How do we make sure they don't get there? <laughs> and so they did that. They did a, a tremendous job of that to where. Yeah, even in, with us uh, in media, you know, there were three and four levels of security just to get where you had to go. And so, but it was well run. I mean, Jimmy Kimmel, you know, served, he, he was the guy that's sort of the moderator there, and he kind of kept it going. And, you know, the, the concern was that this thing could go on for four or five hours because you're going to have, what, eight, ten? And then we saw, you know, there was just the, basically the seven speakers. And uh, I thought it was very well done. You did, but the Michael Jordan thing was without stood out because you saw you saw him in a way, like you said, in a way that you really never see him. 
uh, he was so human in that moment, and and see him crying and and joking about the fact that there's going to be another crying Jordan meme. <laughs> you know, he, so good. He has, to, he has to live with that, you know. But but I was really it struck me that as the tears were falling down his face, he didn't wipe until the end. He didn't stop. You know what I mean? He just let it happen and kept talking. And I'm like, this is Michael as real as you want to see him. Yeah, you wrote uh, about that, that 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 detail in your in your yeah, column, which it, I thought was it great. Struck it was, me, man. It was like, you know what? This guy I'm watching this is he's in it, man. He's just not he's he's not doing it. He's just talking because he's into this thing and and it made clear to me I thought they always had a relationship, but I had no idea the depth of it. And to hear him talk about it like that and to see his raw emotion uh, I was like, yeah, man, this dude, he's hurting like so many people around here, around the game right now, because this thing is still lingering. I mean, poor Clay Thompson, for example, he was there, and Clay really hadn't said a word. I mean, I know how close, how close Clay was to, to Kobe. I mean, Clay drew up, grew up idolizing him in Orange County, and uh, Clay hadn't said anything. And, and then yesterday, not until yesterday, then he um, he went on Instagram and said a few words, and there was a picture of Clay, young Clay, with Kobe. And that's the first thing, first peep from Clay about about Kobe because he was so devastated, he just couldn't bring himself to even deal with this. And so, but the entire day, I mean, a lot of people from the NBA were there. Um, the Warriors had Steph and Clay and Bob Myers, Draymond Green, they were all there. Um, a lot of guys from Ronald League. James Harden <laughs> on game day showed up. And then went back yep. to Houston and played and put up thirty in the first half. I think it was so. It was. It needed to happen. And the, the worst part about it to me was the fact that there were only twenty thousand people that were able to attend it because uh, initially there was some talk, some talk about doing it at the LA Coliseum, which holds ninety thousand people. And honestly, they could have filled that two times over with people who wanted to be there. And. Um, I think finally, I think some people now are starting to realize, you know, the finality is setting in and that this guy who meant so much to so many people, who so in so many ways embodied the spirit of sports, is not here among us anymore. And it's, it's still, when you think about it, it's like, really, I mean, Kobe's gone. I mean, at 41, he's, in a way, he's forever young, you know, um, but yeah, having being down there among the people there, you can see how just how it affected people, and and it's gonna affect them for many many years to come, especially in the L.A. area where this guy he, first of all, L.A. is a Laker town. It's a Laker town. You go there in July and you're on the sports talk radio. You're listening. Yeah, the Dodgers are doing great, and, but let's talk about the Lakers. <laughs> and 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 when Kobe was playing, it was let's talk about Kobe because he's the first guy who, to me, transcended the Lakers. You, you know, I, I felt the same way when LeBron went there. I thought, yeah, he I thought, he can't be, he can't be, he's, he can't possibly, no. can't possibly top Kobe in that market. I just no. could not believe that LeBron would choose to climb that mountain. And yet, he did the same thing in Cleveland, and I doubted him on that one too. And he showed me he was, he was right and he was wrong on that. And I just... I look at this situation with Kobe Bryant, and man, he was bit, in many ways bigger than the Lakers. Like people were, were, I remember people were upset that LeBron went there because Kobe fans didn't want him there because right. Kobe was more important 
like <laughs> worshiping Kobe was more important than worshiping the what was on the front of the jersey. And I and I think there's a very real feeling of that is that Kobe is so big in in uh, in L.A. that it feels like LeBron was coming to the Lakers was almost a threat rather than someone who is coming to fight the good fight. Yeah. No, LeBron will never be accepted and beloved and embraced the way Kobe was. No. And, and it's, I think he knew that, too. And and so, I mean, think about it, because the Showtime Lakers were great, but they were the Showtime Lakers. Magic was maybe the, the guy that people gravitated toward, but but they had so much all-around talent on, the, on those teams that, you and you, Magic may have been the leader, but you had Kareem, you had Worthy, you had your other guys. But with Kobe, he went through two different incarnations of Lakers. You know, the, the Shaq Kobe era, and then he comes back with Paul Gasol and those guys. So it, he started when he was 17. So he was their guy. He was part of their community to them. Even though he didn't live in L.A. proper, he was still their guy. And so I, I've never seen, I think there's only only person I can think of who I can compare in terms of a guy who who – whose presence sort of transcended his sport is Ali. Yeah. And it's different obviously because Ali was more of a you know, he was an ambassador beyond basketball. But but Kobe, who knows if Kobe could have gone there, you know? Mm-hmm. Um but but we do know he was obviously a great basketball player and, and we know how much he meant to uh players in the NBA, basketball players around the globe. You know, you you see Sabrina Inescu talking about it, you see Diana Taurasi talking about it. I mean, these are all people he, who he touched over the course of his life, and uh, it's, it, it was obviously a very remarkable life. It's just too bad it was so short. Yeah, and one of the people that really enjoyed the, the Michael Jordan uh, crying meme joke was, was Stephen Curry. He uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He is coming back. I don't know if it's going to be March 1st. I hope it is because I'm flying out there for it, and I'd rather be there for uh, for Stephen Curry, not the Andrew Wiggins show. But the <laughs> the um, the thing the thing that I get asked all the time, and it's getting kind of annoying. But I wanted to know what your thoughts are on this: is should he be playing? Everyone, uh, the the idea, like now, now it's not enough to celebrate Stephen Curry coming back. We have to debate it, whether he should be coming back. And I guess the idea is, you know, maybe he gets injured and 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 tears his ACL or something horrible happens, God forbid. But I also think there's the 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 Kevin Durant injury in the finals that people are. are uh, it, uh, equating to the situation here and saying, hey, there's no point in bringing it back too soon, da-da-da-da. And I'm sitting here and I'm like, I, I get that, but I also think if he's healthy, he's healthy. He's ready to go. And uh, you're you're there on the ground. And I, I wanted to hear what your thoughts were on this issue and if it's aggravating people within the Warriors, um, just the idea that if Steph's healthy – he should be playing because a it could hurt their draft position and b it could leave him liable for an injury. Yeah, it's it's been an ongoing debate around here, and and yeah, I think the Warriors are, you know, we know where they stand on it. They've made it abundantly clear where they stand on this, and and also Steph made it clear on where he stands on this. He wants to play. Now, um, I think, and and Steve Kerr has talked about this. People who fear that he might get hurt in a meaningless game. Uh, a game without consequences, they're not going to the playoffs. Uh, I, I, I understand the fear. I understand the anxiety of that. But 
Um, he could get hurt in the first game next season too when they think they're going to be good again. He could get hurt. So you can't you can't just dictate when a guy returns. If he's cleared, you can't dictate yep. it based on terms that have nothing to do with him. In other words, well, because we suck, he, he's healthy, but no, we suck, so we won't play him. No, if he's ready to play, you play him. He wants to play. And to me, there are benefits to be derived from this. If you can – he needs to learn how to play with the guys he's going to be playing with next year. Steph got in three games this year. In game four, he was hurt. Andrew Wiggins was in Minnesota at the time. He's here now. Marquise Chris was barely around the team at that time. He's the starting big man now. I think for the purposes of sort of creating a runway to next year, I think if Steph can get in 15, 20 games this year, I think it's valuable. Because he's the guy that things run around with. He's the hub of this team. It's not like Clay Thompson, who Clay's going to do what he does no matter who's out there with him. He just does his thing. He's off the ball. Steph has the ball. Everything the Warriors do on offense revolves around him. And can you imagine if he didn't? If he doesn't play at all, he comes back next year. And in training camp, they're trying to figure this thing out with, with half of the roster that weren't there last year. It could be a very slow start, you know, yeah. and they'll have good reason to think so because we're learning how to play together. Well, this way, when the season starts next year, when they go to camp, all they have to do is plug in Clay. <laughs> That's it. And Clay is a perfect piece to plug in because he plays off everybody else. And so, yeah, I think it's it's smart if if step is cleared and that's going to happen any, any time now uh, to play him. And I keep reminding people, I said it's a hand. Yes, that's, it's not that's a the big knee. thing here. Yep, it's not an Achilles. Yeah. it's not you know Tommy John surgery. You know, it's it's a hand injury. It's not I a bad think wheel, about this. right? Yep. Yeah, I said think about this. If he never comes back this season, he will have missed an entire year with a fractured hand. Doesn't that sound <laughs> yeah. a little bit suspicious to you? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, yeah, I I think that I, I understand people who are skittish about it, but to me, if he's cleared, he plays. and It's what he wants, and Steph has reached a point in his career with this franchise where he has a lot of dictatorial powers yes, <laughs> as to when he can play. <laughs> when so, Steph wants to play, he will play, yes. Yeah, I mean, he won't, override yes. he won't override yes. the training staff, but yes. once he's cleared, he ain't going to say, nah, that's okay, I'll, I'll just watch. No, it's not in him, especially when you go back to the early parts of his career when he had, you know, people feared he would be injury prone. And he missed a bunch of games in the first couple of years, and people were like, oh, my God, this guy is going to play a full year. He hates to talk about injuries. He hates to acknowledge injuries. And so, yeah, if he misses a whole year with a fractured hand, he wants no part of that conversation, not at all. No. Um, I think here's my conspiracy theory. You ready for it? Bring it on. I think not that the Warriors are bringing him back early, but I think the Warriors are happy to have Stephen Curry play. Just as a reminder to a certain big man in Milwaukee. (laughs) Hey, man. Hey, don't forget about us over here. Like, this is what you're going to be missing. Like, if he missed the entire season, 
maybe Giannis is just going to say, you know what, uh, it's been so long since I've seen Steph. I, I don't know. Now it's front of mind, Monty. Now it's, hey, remember remember how fun it is to play with this guy? Look, if he can make Andrew Wiggins into an all-star caliber player, look at what he can do for other players. Look at what he can do for you. And so I kind of feel in the very um, soap opera way of the NBA and how everything's so dramatic, I kind of feel it's like my wife who just wears that perfume that or wears that just something that reminds me of, you know, the young love that we used to have and it's just like, "Oh yeah, that's the that's the girl I married," right? Like just just to give a little reminder um right, you know, and I kind of feel like that might be at play a little bit here, whether it's indirectly on purpose or I don't think it's on purpose, but I do think that it might play a little bit of a, a little bit of a factor into this summer. It's just it'll be front and mo- of mind in case Giannis is thinking. I, I'm not gonna <laughs> say I'm not gonna say you're wrong because the Warriors almost every single thing they do is calculated. Yes, <laughs> and yes. you know I explain to people why, like when Draymond Green had his jersey retired at Michigan State, how they sent a delegation there with him. It wasn't just him, you know. It was between games on the road, and they had teammates there. They had uh, coaches. They had an ownership. They had four or five, a party with Draymond at Michigan State on a road trip. And so they do these things to, to let people know that, hey, you know what? You come to us, We're different. you're going to get a first-pass organization. We are with you all the way. Uh, Kevin Durant on the uh, podcast, when he did the All the Smoke uh, podcast with uh, Matt Barnes and Steven Jackson, said he knew that he, was, he wasn't going to go to a place that had a better friend, better organization. You know, it's about other things. It's about other yeah. things. That's why you might want to go. So, um, yeah, the Warriors take every opportunity to remind people that, hey, good luck finding a place that has more to offer you and more ways to support you than what we have here. So, what yeah, I'm basically I, I trying to say is, thumb. what I'm basically trying to say is, light years, Monty. Light years. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> always, man. Always. Light years, baby. All right, man. Uh, thanks so much for taking the time, Monty. Uh, Appreciate it, man. Thank always you. Always great. If you haven't read his column on uh, on the Kobe Bryant Memorial, the celebration of life. Uh, go read that on NBCSports.com, Bay Area. You can find my stuff at NBCSports.com, NBCSports.com slash Haverstrow. Also, where can people find your work, Monty, uh, not just in the written word, but also in podcast form? Well, I ha- we haven't done many lately, but uh, podcasts are always available at, if you have Apple, Google Play. I mean, you can find it on all the usual platforms. Uh, you, we have Warriors Insider pod, podcast. We also have uh, Running Plays podcast that uh, we do from the Bay Area here. Uh, generally, talking Warriors basketball or sometimes NBA basketball. So uh, there are various ways to find us, whether it's on our website or through your other entertainment, uh, our podcast uh, outlets. Yeah, and I, I, I really hope Steph plays this weekend. I really do. I think he will. I think he will. I think he's still going to play Sunday. Conditioning is his conditioning is pretty good, and and I I mean honestly, if, yeah, if this season then were play him ten minutes, play him ten minutes. Yeah. You know, you don't have yeah. to play him forty minutes. You no, know? he's going to play. I think in the mid twenties. I'm thinking that's that's my guess. 
Yeah. And I think he will play Sunday. I still think that. Monty Poole, thanks so much for joining me. Tom Haberstroh, thanks for having me. All right, that'll do it for this week's episode of the Haberstroh Podcast. I want to thank Monty Poole for joining me. I had a lot of fun writing that story with, with Monty. Learned a lot, and also he was a great partner, uh, not in crime, but in scribing that story. Anyway, go listen to his podcast at Run and Plays, wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also follow him on Twitter at Monty Pool NBCS. That's M O N T E P O O L E NBCS. If you haven't listened to my recent episodes at All Star Weekend with Mark Cuban, Frank Vogel, Tom Thibodeau, Aaron Gordon, go listen to those episodes uh, in the queue. Go subscribe, rate, and review. Thanks so much. And until next time on The Haber Show.